Hey, before we get started this morning, uh, Pastor Brett, come here real quick. Um, so, <clears throat> we have a new uniform policy, apparently. Um, and I, Molly asked me, like, I sat my clothes out last night. And I picked, my, I picked mine out this morning. Okay, all right. So <laughs> Must have been the spirit. Yeah, it was the spirit. Exactly. It was the spirit. So, so just want you to know that next Sunday, uh, be looking for how we dress alike. That's actually one of the ways that you can spot the pastors here. So, um, hey, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Hey, if you, if you can't tell, this is Family Worship Sunday, and we are so excited to have our kids in here with us. Um, with us who are a little bit older and a little bit more advanced in years. And so speaking of that, if you are a like kindergarten, preschool, up through fifth grade, would you stand up for just a second? I promise we're not going to embarrass you too much, okay? If you, yeah, stand up and, and stay standing if you will, okay? If some of you are like close to the aisles, you can like stand out in the aisles so other people can see you, okay? Awesome. I know we've got some middle schoolers in here as well. So six, seven, eight, if you guys want to stand up as well. Awesome. High schoolers, I'm not going to forget about you, okay? I just figured you probably don't want to stand up right now with, but I, I'll, I'll come back to you in just a moment. Hey, guys, look at me. We want to celebrate you this morning. We want to celebrate you and, and tell you as your, as your parents, as your church family, as your family, just how proud we are of you and that we believe that you have been created in the image and likeness of God, which means that you are unique, you are one of a kind, you are a masterpiece. Josie, did you know this? You are a masterpiece, a masterpiece. And it is our privilege to be a part of seeing what God is going to do and being a part of what God's going to do in your life. We believe that God has great things in store for you. He has a promise, a future, a hope for you because he says it in his word. So much so that we believe that the the devil is actually afraid of you because of what you are capable of becoming. And we get to be a part of that with you. And so we want to encourage you, keep your eyes fixed on him as you learn to love God and receive his love in your life. We are are so excited to be a part of your life and a part of your journey. And I want to tell you that this morning. Listen, I know that things aren't near as as exciting being in here this morning as it would be in New Cove Kids. For those of you who who are like kindergarten up through fifth grade. But we are so honored to have you here with us to worship together this morning. Can we give our kids a hand? Awesome. Awesome. Hey, uh, by, by the way, my name is Pastor Chris, if we haven't met. Okay, so... Pastor is just my title. It's not my, my actual name, okay? Hey, um, if you uh, if you got a Bible with you this morning, let me encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 15, or as you came in, you may have received one of these uh, handouts. Actually, there's some other stuff on the front page, but if you didn't get one of these, um, and this is mainly for the kids, but adults, if you feel like you can follow along a little bit better by getting one of these in your hands, then just raise your hand if you don't have one of these, and we will see if we can get one to you as we get started. We've got a couple of folks around here. Awesome. Just leave your hands up and we'll make sure that you get those. I want to make sure that you write some things down this morning. You can take notes. In fact, our passage that we're looking at uh, in Luke chapter 15 is in this, uh, this handout this morning as we uh, go along. As we're kind of getting settled this morning, hey, let, let, me, let me ask, isn't it awesome, isn't it awesome to be able to, to sing together? To, to be able to, like, I, very seldom do I find myself singing that song that we just sung. 
how he loves us and, and not just find myself a little bit overwhelmed and, and, and maybe in tears from time to time. And yes, I'm a crier. I, I'll admit that. Um, as we get to proclaim, declare to one another, God loves us. God loves us. And not just God loves us, how God loves us. God loves us fiercely. And that's a good thing. Not like angry love. God loves us fiercely. He has moved heaven and earth so that we might know his love. God's love is, is, is a love that's actually a jealous love. And not jealous like you and I get jealous. Jealous in that God wants our affections. God wants us to know him. God wants us. He desires us. He is affectionate for us. In fact, his love is so amazing that it's like being overwhelmed by, an, by a storm or being uh, in, in, a, in the sense of sinking in an ocean that it's all around us and that God's love knows no depths. And when we begin to see how much God loves us and that God loves us, it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It, it moves us. And so God loves us and wants to not only, not only for us to learn how to love him, right, but wants us to learn how to be loved by him. And guys, I'm going to tell you that sometimes as adults, that's a hard thing for us to do. We, we know that we're supposed to love God. We, we know that God loves us, but sometimes it's hard for us to receive God's love, to just be loved where we are and how we are. So here's the question. God's love changes everything, right? But how do we know that? How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that everything that we just sang about is true? Is it because we, we, we said it and it sounds really good? Is it because it was actually in the lyrics of a song? Like, how do we know that God loves us? And I'm glad you asked the question because the Bible tells us so. In fact, for some of you, you have, you've sung this your whole life. For, for some of you, you've had this... You've had somebody sing this over you, right? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Give yourself a pat on the back this morning. That's so awesome. Isn't that beautiful? Like, God loves us, and the way that we know that is through God's word. It is through God's word that we know who God is, that we know uh, what God is like, what God has done for us, and how God wants us to live as he calls us to live this full, meaningful, abundant life that we were created for. But, but if we're not careful, if we're not careful, then we can find ourselves maybe sometimes believing, assuming, or thinking some things about God that aren't completely accurate, maybe not quite true. Sometimes, if, if we're not careful and we're not uh, looking at God's word that reveals who he is, then sometimes we can paint a picture of God that's not completely accurate. And, and this has happened for a long time, but listen, we don't define God. We, we don't, um, we don't describe, determine who God is. God defines God. God determines. He, God reveals himself through his word. God defines us. And so during Jesus' day, just like today, there, there were a lot of people who had a lot of misconceptions or a wrong picture of who God was. And 
What made things even more confusing was that you had these people who claimed to be closest to God, these people who claimed to be closest to God, who gave the impression that God was distant and only concerned about the people who had it all together. And so Luke 15, what Jesus is going to do here, Jesus is going to correct that. Jesus is going to correct that in a clear and unsettling way. So go ahead and take out your note sheet if you got that. And adults, uh, hopefully this is uh, easy enough for you to follow along. If you want to take some notes too, even if you don't have this, uh, you can scribble on something else. Just probably don't write in your Bible, but like scribble in the Bible in, in front of you in the seat. Um, <clears throat> so take out your note sheet. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down a couple of things that I think will help explain what it is that we're looking at here in Luke chapter 15. And so here's, here's how to think about it. There's one question, there are two uh, groups, and then there are three stories. One question, two groups, three stories, okay? Everybody say with me, one question. One question. All right, here's, here's the one question. Jesus is answering for these groups. What is God like? In fact, you can write that down. What is God like? like what is God really like? Because there are definitely some uh, there's definitely some confusion about that, not only here in this passage, but I think that there's a lot of confusion about that today, right? What is God like? One question. So say that with me again. One question. One question. Two groups. Two groups. My goodness. Is it, is it the instructor or is it the... Uh, is it, okay. All right. Say it with me. One question. Two groups. Awesome. Two groups. Now, the two groups that Jesus is speaking to here are the sinners and the Pharisees. That's kind of Pharisees like big word, like Pharisee. What in the world? Pharisee, P-H, starts not, not an F, but a P-H. It actually in the Hebrew means to be separated. So you've got the sinners and you've got the Pharisees. And so you can write that down. Jesus' audience was made up mostly of people who were uh, labeled to be sinners. Now, that doesn't sound good, right? Oh, like, you know, look at, uh, look at Don walking in the door this morning. Look at that sinner. You know, like, that's probably not a, a, a compliment, right? And so you got the sinners who included this, also included this audience of tax collectors. And we'll talk about who the tax collectors are uh, here in just a few moments. It's not like the, the IRS today um, completely. All right. And Pharisees, <clears throat> the Pharisees had these strict rules for following God. In fact, it, it didn't start in a bad way. They just wanted to make sure that they were following God uh, purely and wholeheartedly, but it became something that we call legalism. And, and the Pharisees included this other audience known as the teachers of the law. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were supposed to be responsible for teaching the people what God said and what God is like based on what God has said through his word. And so you've got the one question, say that with me, one question, we got two groups, two groups, and we've got three stories, three stories. Okay, awesome. And so Jesus tells these three stories to answer the one question for the two groups. And to explain this, to explain what God is like, Jesus tells the first story of a lost sheep. <laughs> you write that down. <clears throat> don't worry, there's not a sheep loose here, I don't think. Yep. Yeah, it, it, the sheep is loose uh, in the sound booth, I think. All right, so, so you can write that down. Secondly, Jesus tells the story of a lost coin. A lo- Ooh, yeah, yeah. It's like, are those quarters? Are those 50-cent pieces? Pennies? Or no, okay. So lost coins. And then thirdly, Jesus tells the story of 
lost sons. I'm sure that some of your uh, conversations between brothers and siblings are not quite as civil as that probably sounds. So, so here's what we got. Jesus tells three stories, the story of a, of, a, of a lost sheep, lost coin, and a, uh, and, and a lost and lost sons. And so one question, two groups, three stories. Got it? Awesome. Let's jump in. Look with me at Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So in other words, what the, what the Pharisees are, are saying here is essentially this. Like, why does he hang out with such losers? Like, that's essentially what they're, what they're saying. Now, now, get the picture here. You've got these people drawing near to Jesus. People who appear to be far from God. The, the, the people who seem to be furthest from God. You've got these, these, these people, again, known as the sinners, whose reputation was probably a little questionable in some cases, maybe even a little sketchy. And then you've got people who were known mainly by the wrongs that they had done. You've got, you've got people who were in the crowd, maybe were dishonest and immoral. And then on top of that, you've got this group that's called the tax collectors. In this particular case, the tax collectors were considered to be traitors. Not, not like trading uh, goods, like traitors, okay? Uh, they, because they, they collected taxes on behalf of a corrupt government, uh, which they took from their own people, and they were notorious for stealing. Stealing in that they took more than they should have for themselves, and so they were labeled as thieves, and nobody liked them. And so you got the sinners, and you got the tax collectors. And in, in some cases, the, the, this group also involved people who were considered to be cursed by God. Some people who were poor, probably not the tax collectors. Some people who had physical limitations. People who had been pushed to the margins, the outsiders and the outcasts. That's the group who's drawn near to Jesus. On the other hand, you've got this other group, the people who claim to be closest to God. They're standing on the outside looking on with disgust. And they're thinking like, can you believe this? I'm pretty sure he just came from having dinner at one of those sinners' houses. Right? Like, he seems to be hanging out with the, with the wrong crowd instead of the right crowd. Like, un- unbelievable. Like, how, is, how, how can this guy even say that he is who he, other people say he is while, while others like that continue to draw close to him. Like this Jesus, well, he, he must be as much a loser as the rest of them. Kind of judgmental, right? Have you ever, you ever found yourself or maybe seen somebody do this? Like speaking to or including somebody that others look down on? Like uh, maybe it was, maybe it was uh, seeing somebody who was sitting alone at a lunch table. And, and you, instead of seeing them continue to sit alone, you, you decided to get up and go and sit with them. And can I tell you guys, that's actually happened for my kids in this last month, month and a half, where, I mean, can, can you imagine walking into a, to a school middle of the year and you don't know anybody, and you sit down, and you're afraid, like, what do people think of me, all this different stuff, and, and somebody actually has the courage to get up and go and sit with that person. Um, maybe it's inviting somebody in who's standing on the outside watching a game out on the, out on the playground or whatever it is, and you, you invite them in and to hop in on the game. Or maybe it's the kid in the class that doesn't seem to talk much. And because that kid doesn't talk much, the, the kid is misunderstood, mistaken by other classmates as just being weird, 
Nobody talks to them, but you say hello and, and help them to feel a part of the class. You see, sometimes it's easy for us to, to say mean things. It's also easy for us to do some mean things, right? And to have mean things done to us and said to us. It's easy for us to look down on others. But what Jesus is making clear here is that that is so far from who God is. So far from who God is. And so if the people who are standing on the outside pointing fingers are the ones who, that are, who are supposed to be closest to God and to teach others about who and what God is like, can you see the problem here? The ones on the outside are supposed to be defining who God is. The ones on the inside are the ones that have drawn close to Jesus, the people who are considered to be the outcast, the outsiders. And so here comes Jesus, God in human form, inviting those, these people, these outcasts, to come near him, the people that nobody wants to sit with, the people that nobody wants to be seen with, the people that nobody wants to talk to, people who've been told to keep out and stay away. Then you got, the, again, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who thought that the best way to please God was to avoid such people and to keep your distance at all costs. But that's not who God is. You see, it, it is those who thought that they were closest to God who were actually just as lost as the people who were furthest from him, right? Socially speaking. Now, By saying that Jesus was associating or hanging out with the sinners, let's be clear here. Jesus wasn't participating in their sin, okay? That doesn't mean that Jesus was participating in their sin. What what Jesus is doing, if, if anything, is to call both sinners and people who think that they're better than others to turn to repent from their sin and to turn to God. And so Jesus is just as concerned about that group on the outside as he is the group on the inside. So let's keep going. Verse 3. Jesus begins to speak into the confusion here. And he says, then what it says, then Jesus told a parable. A parable. Now, what is a parable? And again, this is another place you can write this down uh, in your notes. There's lots of ways that we can explain this. Here is a what I would call an oversimplified definition, but I think it works. A parable is a short story with a point. It's a short story with a point. See, so write that down. Jesus tells a lot of parables. Some 50 parables in these first four books of the New Testament, which is like the last third of the Bible, called the Gospel Accounts. Jesus tells these parables, these short stories, with a point. So that's what a parable is, but why does Jesus tell parables? Well, here's a couple of other ways that we might be able to explain that. you got some other places to write this down. Jesus tells parables so that those who understand some might understand better. Those who, those who understand some might understand better, right? I've got five coins in my hand. I give you three. How many do I have? Right? So just like little like stories to help us understand things a little bit better. Uh, and so that those who don't get it might get it. Get it? Got it. Okay, good. Good. So that's the purpose of parables, And that's what we mean by stories. So Jesus tells three parables, short stories with a point, to answer this one question. What is God like? What is God truly like? And so let's look at this first one. This is the parable of the lost sheep. And by the way, just a little bit of a challenge here, guys. Uh, If you're following along, there's going to be some words highlighted 
uh, as we go along through the scripture. And so as you see those words like highlighted or in a different color, you can write those down. Some of the words you're going to see multiple times, but you should find at the end of the service four words, and then you can write that at the very bottom on that second page and that last page. If you don't have one of those, just see if you can follow along as well, okay? So Jesus tells this first story, this first parable of a lost sheep. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Repent essentially means, guys, again, oversimplified is to turn the other direction, to turn away from sin, to turn to God, to turn away from our selfish wants and desires, and to turn to what God wants and God's desires. That's essentially what repent means. Now, Anybody lost a sheep lately? Obviously, we got one roaming around in the back, but anybody lost their sheep lately? Probably not, right? But we all know what it's like to lose something and, and how upsetting it could be when, when you can't find it. I think when I was some, somewhere around maybe seven or eight years old, um, my dog went missing. And uh, we lived in this wooded area, North Carolina, say this is out in the sticks, okay? Um, this, was, this was a place where there was plenty of room to get lost. In fact, people said that often to each other, get lost. And I don't think that was a good thing. But we, we searched and called for, for this dog for some, some two days. And I was convinced that I was never going to see that dog again. And I think it was on a Sunday, we, we went to our church service, and I shared with my class just in tears that, man, I, I, I lost my dog. And people prayed with us and we got home that afternoon and got out of the car, and I heard something off in the distance. Now, again, we haven't heard, seen anything in days. And it sounded like the dog, so I took off running through the woods, fields, you know, climbed a mountain, back down through the valley. It, it wasn't, wasn't like that. I, I was like way over dramatic, but I came over top of the small hill, and I looked, and there he was. We found him. Um, man. I love that dog. <laughs> mm. I'll, I'll tell you that, that story another time. Um, and that's not Jonas. That's me. So it's just a, like, jo- we would not have had a, that type of linoleum floor. I'm sure that there was probably some, I don't know, what, lead or something un- underneath it. But, um, man, you should if you think that's something, you should have seen the outside of the house and the shag carpet uh, on the inside. Uh, it was a house built and meant for the 70s. So um, we found the dog. And listen, we called friends and, and family, people who were concerned, and we said, we found him. They celebrated with us, right? See, Jesus says, just like a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes to find the one, when he finds it, he calls for a celebration. Jesus says, you understand that, how much more of a celebration will it be when somebody turns from sin and turns to God? Jesus says, heaven throws an epic party. Heaven throws epic parties. And that's, that's one of the reasons why heaven throws a party is because a person who is lost turns from sin, turns to God. Now again, think about these people that are sitting close to Jesus, sitting around him, the sinners, the outcasts, the people who feel hopeless, the people who doubt that 
God would ever want anything to do with them. People who wondered if, you know, they had wandered too far to ever be able to return. People who thought that there was no way that God could ever forgive them. People who thought that they were so far outside of God's will that if God ever came looking for them, God wouldn't meet them with rejoicing, but God would meet them with judgment and condemnation and reprimand and shame. And Jesus says, if that's what you think about God, then then let me make something clear. Listen, God is saying, I'm not waiting for you to come to me. I'm coming to get you. And when I find you, I'm not going to beat you down with shame. I'm going to throw you on my back, take you home, and we are going to party. That's what God's like. First parable, the lost sheep. Second parable is the lost coin. So Jesus keeps going and he continues to explain, what is God like? Verse, verse 8, he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, you think, well, you know, silver coin, that's not that big of a deal because we think like, you know, what, a, a dime or a nickel or something like that. But no, the, the silver coin here would have represented uh, the amount of money that a person normally makes in a day. And so even though you got nine others, to lose that one was a pretty big deal, right? And so Jesus says, here's what happens. Does she not, does she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And friends and neighbors are like, I didn't know you lost your coin, right? But awesome. Let's, let's celebrate, right? In the same way, I tell you that there will be, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now think about this, God, to picture God crawling around on a dirty floor in a dark room looking for a needle in a haystack was something that a lot of people just could not imagine. That, in, all, in some sense, it actually seemed wrong, but Jesus says, that's who God is. That is what God is like. Now, I'm going to have a little fun here, okay? So um, just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say go, okay? And when I say go, I want you to do something, but you've got to wait until I say go, okay? All right, like, well, just tell me what it is. Now, for some of you who are smaller and a little bit more agile, we're going to need you uh, on this one, okay? So parents and adults, I cannot promise that over the next few moments, this place is just going to turn into absolute chaos, okay? So just hang in there, but it is going to be a beautiful noise uh, to the Lord, okay? So now that I've built it up, like, what is it? So, so here's what I want you to do, okay? When I say go, I want you to feel underneath your seats when I say go and see if you can find one of these, okay? I know you can see that in the back. It's a coin, okay? It's a coin, Lenny. So um, when I say go, I want you to search. And here's what I want you to do. When you find one, I want you to hold it up, and I want you to let everybody know that you found it. In fact, if you're close to somebody who finds a coin, I want you to jump in and to celebrate with them, okay? You guys ready? Three, two, one, go. <laughs> Man. Awesome. Hold it, hold it up. When you got it, hold it up. When you got it, hold it up. (laughs) Oh, it's so great. All right, hey, if you got coins over here, hold them up. How many we got? 
Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them high. Awesome. Okay. Who's got them over here? Right in this section. Ginger, we see yours. If you got a coin, hold it up. Awesome. Okay. All right. Over here. Where's your coin? Good deal. Good deal. We have one. Do we have one here? No? All right. What about over here? Awesome, awesome. Good job, good job. Uh, what, what is so funny, I wish you could have been sit, standing where I'm standing and watched. Like, I didn't think some of you could move that fast and were that agile, especially the adults. Like, all of the heads disappeared below the seats. That was just, that was awesome. <laughs> now, I thought it would be a little bit more difficult to get everybody rounded back up. But he, going back to the parable, here, here's the point. Jesus is saying, you might feel like lost change under a seat. Coins that have been lost in the cushions of a couch. But I want you to know that you are precious to me. And like a woman who frantically searches for her lost coin, I will turn this place upside down and tear it to pieces looking for you. And when I find you, all of heaven will rejoice. Jesus says, that's what God is like. But just in case you don't get it, okay, Jesus then tells a third parable. And this third parable is a lot more is a lot more detailed. In fact, uh, adults, the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a deep dive into this one parable. In fact, this one is probably one of Jesus' most well-known parables. Found at the end of Luke 15, sometimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son or sometimes the return of the prodigal son. I think it's better titled as the, as the parable of the lost sons. The parable of the lost sons. We'll see why. So as we begin to wrap this up, This is a lot to read through, okay? So this is a little bit longer. Hang in there with me. But let's read through this parable together. Verse 11 says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. How many sons? Two sons. The younger son, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now now right here we have got a problem. And, And here's the problem. That oftentimes you wouldn't get your inheritance until a certain point. And that point was generally when the father died. And so what the younger son is saying to the father, and this is, this is just absurd, unthinkable. The younger son says to the father, Father, I wish, I wish you weren't here. I wish you were dead. But because you're not, would you just go ahead and give me what I've got coming to me? And if that's not like unthinkable and absurd enough, what the father does is absurd. Look at this. He says, so he divided his property between them. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he, so, so he went and hired himself out to, the citizens, uh, to a citizen in that country who sent him out into the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But nobody gave him anything. Now, at this point, Jesus' audience would have been completely disgusted and grossed out. Because pigs weren't as favorable as they are like today. Like we think barbecue. Um, that's not how they were thought about. Like they were, they were filthy. They were unclean. On top of that, what was further disgusting is that this guy wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And I don't know if you know what pigs eat, but they eat just about anything, okay? So they're like disgusted. Man, this guy must have been desperate. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. He's probably rehearsing this, this, uh, this excuse, this reason, this, this acceptance speech all the way back. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You see, although other people had given up on the son, even though people had stopped looking for him, the father was still on the lookout. You see that? The father was still on the lookout. And when he saw his son, he didn't wait for his son to come to him. He ran to his son, embraced him, welcomed him home. Verse 21 says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's have a barbecue, not a pork barbecue, okay? Um, Let's have a barbecue and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus says, that is what God is like. That's what God is like. God doesn't want your excuses. God wants you home. And he's looking for you. And when he sees you, he's going to come running to you and receive you. And there's going to be a party. Like, how incredible is that? Like, that's what God is like. And so think about this group, again, that's sitting closest to Jesus, sitting near Jesus, hearing this, thinking, you mean I'm not too far gone? You mean even though I've made a mess of my life that God would take me? with all that I bring, with all that I have and all that I don't have? See, see, God was ready and waiting to receive them back. That's what God is like. Now, wouldn't it be great if the story stopped there? Like for some of you, you're like, it'd be great if the service just stopped here, okay? Let's be honest, okay? But listen, I'm going to give you a little bonus material here, okay? So look with me, verse 25. Actually, Scripture's going to do that. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house... He heard music and dancing. Some of you are like, can you do that here? (laughs) I was doing good up until that point, and then that's where the the complaint uh, uh, email will go to. So it's brett, B-R-E-T, at newcovchurch.org if you want to go ahead and just cue that up, okay? (laughs) So he called one of his servants, this is the older son, and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother was so delighted and excited that his brother was home. Is that what it says? No, it says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pled with him. The father goes to the the oldest son. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends because, man, young goat must be a delicacy, right? You never gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, his brother, couldn't couldn't even call him by his name, acknowledge that he was his brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. That is not fair. That ain't right. Anybody feel that? My son, the father said, 
you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, sometimes it's not those who have wandered away who are as lost as sometimes the people who stay at home, who've missed the joy of being a child of the Father. Sometimes we think that people who think that they're actually nearest to God might find themselves actually furthest from God's heart. So, so Jesus brings the whole audience into the picture here. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were like the sun standing outside the party refusing to go in. They were the ones who wanted to see those who had wandered away get what was coming to them. They wanted justice, not mercy, right? They, they were too far concerned with being the ones who were in while keeping everybody else out. And so you've got this group of people standing on the outside complaining about a God who would welcome such people, such losers, to be close to him instead of the people that they felt were more deserving. Maybe we can sum all of this up this way just with these, this one sentence. And here's your last fill-in-the-blank, guys. God comes to seek and save the lost. And God rejoices when the lost are found. That's what Jesus is saying here. God has come to seek and to save the lost. And God rejoices when the lost are found. Meaning that those who are near God, those who want to be near God, will join in the searching for the lost and will celebrate as heaven celebrates when the lost are found. Jesus even says, Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus says, The Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, a title that Jesus has for himself. The Son of Man, even the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. This is God's heart throughout Scripture. The first man and the first woman sin against God. Genesis chapter 3, what does God do? God comes looking for them. They're hiding, but God comes looking for them. God is a God who comes to seek and save the lost and rejoices with those who are found. And so a couple of questions we finish up here. First, have I allowed myself to be found by God? Have you allowed yourself to be found by God? Or are you hiding, afraid that, well, there's, there's no way that God would want me, but God is seeking after you. Have you allowed yourself to be found by God? Coming out of the hiding. Listen, God knows. God sees. God knows the very best, he knows the very worst, and yet God continues to pursue you. You're not too far gone. God says, have you allowed yourself to be found? Secondly, how can I join God to seek the the lost? Like, if I've been found by God, meaning that I have invited Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, am, am I joining God's mission to search for those who are lost, who need God to save them through faith in Jesus? Like, am I joining God's mission? If I have been found through faith in Jesus, am I joining the mission to go find the lost and to celebrate when they found? Which is the third question. Will I rejoice with God when the lost are found? Like, do I get, do I get excited? Like, finding that lost coin, right? Like, man, what, what, a, what a joy. Do I share in the celebration when the lost are found? Or am I afraid that by celebrating with someone else, it's actually going to take something away from me? When God says, no, there's, there's plenty to go around. I want you to share in my joy. And that joy is not going to be found in trying to keep things for yourself, but celebrating the things that heaven celebrates. Guys, this is what God is like. God loves us. God comes searching for us.
God wants you to know that even if you're pulled up to the table hoping that God will accept you or the person who's standing over to the side being judgmental, God has come to seek and to save those who were lost. And when he finds them and they find him, there's going to be celebration in heaven. That's what God is like. We pray with me. Father, thank you so much for, uh, for, for making clear to us who you are and what you're like. God, God too often we, we assume that based on how we feel or maybe what we know, not necessarily informed by your word, that there's just no way that you could, you could want me or there's no way that you would go after that person. But yet, God, you make it clear through your word, not just here, but throughout your word, that you are a God who has come to seek and to save the lost. And not only do you celebrate over us, not only do you sing over us, but but you invite us to join you in celebrating God and singing over the lost who've been found. Father, if there's anybody in this room that does not know you, that does not know that a God who has drawn near to them, who is waiting with arms wide open for them to fall into your arms, God. God, I pray that you would draw hearts close to you today and help them to know, God, that it's not about trying to clean ourselves up. It's not about trying to give a, a, a long acceptance speech. It's simply about coming home to you, God, where our lives are found. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we've had to celebrate and worship together. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, something that I forgot to, to mention, if you have one of these coins, and by the way, that there's probably more coins. Some of you guys didn't find all of them, okay? Uh, if, you, if you got this coin, now some of you are like, oh, oh did I miss it? Um, if you got one of these coins, then you can take that out into the gathering space and trade it for one of these coins, okay? Um, and this coin is actually something that you can use. This coin is completely worthless, okay? But this one, you can actually eat, okay? So we don't eat coins generally, but this one you can, okay? So that's something that you can do uh, after, after the service. Let's continue in worship.